0: Hi, I'm Dan, and if you're new to homebrewing, so am I. Welcome to my adventures in homebrewing. Hey everybody, and thanks a lot for coming out this week, and one more time around the sun and a beer or two along the way. My name's Dan, and this week uh, I'm going to say thank you to me for being on the show last week because uh, I was getting us caught up on all the things and mishaps that have happened along the way, and believe it or not... um, they're still happening. So that's kind of par for the course in my life. Uh, but this week, we're really fortunate. We have someone who is a bit of, uh, at least I think he is, a bit of a YouTube legend. We have Martin King Keen from the uh, Homebrew Challenge on the show this week. Um, if you haven't checked out his channel, please do. Uh, Homebrew Challenge. There's one video honestly it absolutely floored me and i think you really do need to check it out it's the one he did 99 beers in 99 weeks um it is a feat that only few people i believe have tried and i think martin is maybe the only guy who's actually succeeded in doing it so hang tight stay tuned and we'll see you guys in two secs after a quick word from the sponsor Hey, it's Dan here one more time, and I'm happy to say that we are now, or should I say my podcast is now sponsored by Escarpment Laboratories, yeast production for the fermentation of the exceptional craft beer, whether your kit is on the stovetop or in a commercial brew house, wholesale yeast and quality control for the profitable pro brewer, community engagement and education for the discerning home brewery. If you are a craft brewer and you love using quality yeast, then you really do need to check out Escarbon Laboratories.
1: The BrewTubers online store has everything you need for your brewing apparel and gift idea needs with a growing selection of colors and sizes for hoodies, t-shirts, and caps. Stickers and magnets? Got them. Can holders and coffee mugs? We've got those too. Be the boss of your neighborhood and the envy of brewers everywhere when you flash that beautiful BrewTubers logo at your next local brewing competition. Want everyone to know you're a part of the Brew World Order? Strike a superman pose with that BWO logo on your chest and make them all take notice. And if you haven't already, get over to our website at www.brewtubers.com and become a member. Then. Just mosey yourself over to that BrewTuber store tab, click on it, and open the door to show the world you are a proud BrewTuber. Brew, record, post, repeat.
0: And we're back, guys. So, again, thanks a lot for coming out this week. Greatly appreciate it. And this week, we're very fortunate we have Martin Keene from the Homebrew Challenge with us. Martin, how are you, sir? Well,
2: Dan, thank you very much for having me on. I'm, I'm about to be doing very good. I've... Uh got myself a pint of scottish beer for oh nice i have a
0: dark german lager Mm. so that's slager cheers Mm. yeah so thanks a lot for doing this greatly appreciate it i have been learning a lot from the videos that you've done and i've gotten a lot of entertainment out of the videos that you've done um Some of the ones I actually got a kind of a chuckle out of is one when your wife asked you to make her a beer, and it was that uh, (laughs) cherry porter stout thing. Cherry chocolate nitro porter, yeah. Yeah, that that was, I got a chuckle out of that, because like, (laughs) how?
2: Yeah, it was a laundry list of stuff, um, which was kind of perfect, because then I got to Try to come up with a recipe that would that would meet all the requirements. And actually, that's been kind of a yearly thing. The year before, it was some kind of peanut butter monstrosity. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, she keeps me on her, on my toes with some of these uh, some of these beer styles. And um, that one actually, it kind of really worked out. Like nice. it was an English porter base, and mm-hmm. then it did have a milk chocolatey kind of aroma through the cocoa nibs. And serving on nitro gave it a bit of a creamy feel. Um, That was a a really popular one. The only problem with it was I brewed a three-gallon batch, which is generally the the batch size I brew. Right. uh, She was very stingy as to who got any, including myself. So
0: I think I had maybe two pours of that beer. See, I'm fortunate. I am the only beer drinker in my house. And only time I have to share is when I want to share
1: so well, i that way
0: yeah, yeah. So personally
2: for me generally the problem is too much beer not enough people to drink it when you've been brewing quite frequently and there's just yeah
0: that's a constant it's, issue that's usually the usually the problem so before we get going too far and I tell you about the monstrosity I'm going to try and make uh let's hear a little bit about yourself yeah so yeah I'm Martin Keen um
2: I I got into homebrewing oh I don't know like seven eight years ago Started with Mr. Beer Kits, was a disaster, could not make Mr. Beer Kits very well. My beers would all taste like apple. Um, nobody told me about star sand. So basically all my beers were getting infected. Uh, so I kind of put all that stuff away. And it's like, oh, I guess brewing's not for me. And then I ended up enrolling in a, um, a class at the local community college. And it was taught by a head brewer from one of the local breweries, Big Boss in Raleigh. Cool. Um, and it was, we'd go in twice a week for theory, and then we would be taken to a local brewery, pretty much different one every week, where the local brewer there would take us behind the scenes and tell us about how to brew beer. And at the end, uh, for our class exam, we had to brew our own beer in a commercial brewery, we brewed a, an English ESB. Um, and that along with a written test was part of the qualification at the end of it. So. Um, it was an actual sort of professional training. And after I went through that, suddenly making beer at home became a lot easier because I had some idea of what was going on. So uh, it's yeah. amazing.
0: And, right. Right. It's amazing when you get exposed to the right things, how fast you pick it up. Um, I kind of started the same way. My wife got me, uh, I guess, my very first homebrew kit where you get the, the LME in a can and you hope everything goes right. Um I was always, people have always heard me uh, in the podcast, heard me say this. At one point, the beer was growing mushrooms. And I was just like, mm-hmm. that's not good. We're, we're going to stop now. We're going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started working at the brewery I'm at, and it sparked that interest again. And I just started picking it up, how to do it from all grain, which it seemed to be so much easier than trying to do it with LME. I, you know, I
2: uh, I brew almost exclusively all grain now, but I did brew a couple of LME beers uh, just recently. And even after doing this for years, weekly now, I still screwed up the uh, the extract. And the extract brewing is supposed to be easier because you're skipping a step, you're skipping the mash. Yeah. But I ended up um, burning the liquid malt extract on my burner and the beer just had a very, the, the appearance was way too dark and it just had this sort of, Caramelly burnt yeah. taste to it, and that's because I scorched it. So yeah,
0: yeah, I, I I I haven't scorched things, but I can say that with LME, uh, I don't think I cooled things enough, where I probably killed the yeast as soon as I pitched ah, yeah. <laughs> it, and you just kind of hoped it would do something. And you're like, oh, just pitch more at it, maybe that'll work. And it just never really works. But now, my little home brewery has gone from a twenty-gallon 3 vessel to with uh, also a cold side of three fermenters, a bright tank, and a glycol chiller. So, uh, my little home brewery is is growing exponentially. So, uh, it's it's amazing how much crap or how, crap how much gear you pick up along the way uh, for a hobby. Yes,
2: I'm I'm familiar with this gear creep thing uh, i started off on in the stove on the kitchen and I ended up taking over the entirety of our unfinished basement and it's just wall to ceiling with stainless steel
0: stuff <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so we just moved and i have now a two-car heated garage to myself so i have room to spread out but now that i've spread out i'm like how did i Collect so much stuff <laughs> between equipment and ingredients. I mean, I've got like more grain coming out of my ears than I never thought I would. So, and I always thought, I always think, well, I've used it all. I I've, I've just buy more, I'm like whatever. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Base malt. I can never go wrong with base malt. I got three bins of it. It's all good. And I'm like, I got three bins of base malt. I got four Rubbermaids full of specialty malt i've got stuff to make
2: <laughs> right and but isn't that isn't that a real nice thing to have grains on hand and you can yes. just wake up one morning and be like you know what i'm gonna make all today and then you mm-hmm. look around and you probably got what you need right there that was the thing for me that um i i got a couple of base malts in the big sacks the big 50 pound sacks and then mm-hmm. got a ton of specialty malts Uh, i would i would always buy more than i need and just keep the rest so i'd end up sort of building a library of this and then i was like okay now i'm gonna start keeping some hops and ordering them in big packets instead of the little one ounce packets and then i started harvesting yeast so uh, yeah you just end up with like uh, an environment where you can at any point just think yeah i'm gonna brew this beer and, and off you go now that was kind of the theory uh the in practice because I'm making videos about every one of my beers, I have everything planned out like three months in advance. I never get up in the morning and think, oh, what should I brew today? Let's do it. The whole <laughs> thing has been planned for ages. But in theory, yeah, you, know, you have that it, option.
0: Yeah, it is a nice option. So yeah. how did you get started? Uh, not uh, You've already covered how you got started, but let's hear about some of the oops that you've done along the way. I mean, we've all had the oops i mean i've already said one where i was growing mushrooms inside of uh the fermenter uh, which was like the old school plastic bucket
2: yeah right i mean i have i think i have made every process error that you can possibly make along the way because i have brewed maybe close to 200 beers at this point if there's like a step along the way at some point i did it wrong it screwed it up horribly like. Didn't close a valve and the hot wort spilled all over the floor. Yeah, check, done that, you know. Put the beer in the fermenter, walked away, came back a day later, saw it wasn't fermenting. Oh, he didn't put the yeast in, you know, like mm-hmm. all of this stuff. But uh, when I started out, after, I, after I'd been to this, um, this class and I'd graduated and I was supposed to now be like, I could be a commercial brewer or at least start to be one because I learned the stages. I decided to start a YouTube channel and this really predates the channel I have now. The channel I have now is called the Homebrew Challenge and it started off with brewing 99 beers in 99 weeks. But prior to that, I would just brew stuff and put a video out. But I called that channel Homebrew How-To. And the ironic thing about Homebrew How-To is I really didn't know what I was doing and it was really a sort of Homebrew How-Not. Yeah. Uh, but it became such an educational tool for me Because I would post something like, here's how to make a hazy IPA. Mm -hmm. And then the YouTube comment section would tell me that that is definitely not how you would make a hazy IPA and tell me what I was doing wrong. So it was a case of we'd do stuff, just a buddy and I would be brewing, and then we'd like put this video out. And then, yeah, then we'd find out how to really do it. So that's helpful. In terms of, yeah, in terms of things that have gone wrong, I mean, I think the most, infamous thing when i was doing the 99 challenge um well, i guess i should explain what that was the, the the challenge itself was the bjcp style guidelines have all of their beers listed uh, like so style one a is american light lager yeah um one b is american lager and so forth um so there's a list of them and if you go through the main styles there's 99 so it's like right i'm going to prove every single one of these styles. All right. Um, And some of the styles I was familiar with, a lot of the styles I'd never even heard of, let alone tried them. So it was very interesting to kind of try this out. But anyway, as I was going through it, I got to um, the Rauch beer, which is smoke beer, German smoke beer. And I decided that I was going to go all in on the smoked beer. And I decided to pick out cherry smoked malt as my base malt. Okay. And I used, I think it was 95% of the malt was this smoked malt. Oh, no. I sort of had a clue at the time that that was unusual. Because when I went to the homebrew store, they only had it in this tiny little jar. And I was like, well, I need like seven pounds of this. So they had to go out back and find a sack of it. Um, And when I got it home and milled it and it's like my goodness the entire brewery smells like a bonfire already mm-hmm. and it wasn't until i made it that i realized that the guidelines said to not exceed 30 percent of your total grist is to be this smoked malt and ideally five to ten percent would be smart so i ended up with this murky brown thing that as soon as you poured it it just smelled like ash yep and uh that was the only beer, the ninety nine beers that we did the tasting. So I always do a tasting with with the with a friend or whatever on camera, and we we try the beer. We did the tasting, and we're like, "That's it.
0: Get the keg, dump it. Yeah, undrinkable. Yeah Sorry. that that's the thing with smoke malt. You have to be so careful with that stuff. It's just so right. potent. Oh, it really is. And I ended up revisiting.
2: The smoked malt a couple more times as I went through the ninety nine. Um, there was one style I forget what it's called, but it's a, a mixture of smoked malt and sour beer. So it was a kettle-soured beer with lactobacillus yeah. plus smoky malt, and um, it's like a Rogan beer, I think it's called. And oh, it was yeah, mm, that, that was maybe okay, but honestly, any of the any of the beers that I made that in, involved any sort of smoked malt. Just went not for me.
0: Yeah. I've made a, um was it a smoked honey uh, order? And <clears throat> it was called, it, it's, it said, oh, yeah, I'll use like seven ounces of uh, smoke malt. I used four and it was yeah. perfect.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's I the, think uh, if you're thoughtful about it, that probably actually comes out
0: quite nice. Yeah, it's 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 better to err on the side of caution, uh, especially when using that style of malt, I find anyway, is because even if you go to where they say the recommendation, it's you're going to have your palate say yes or no. If you go lower, you're like, well, it could use a little bit more next time. You can come up 1%. You can come up 2%. That's right. But you it, can't take the smoke out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean... One of them, like like I mentioned before, there's a City I'm going to try and make. And you may laugh at this because it's a total Canadian stereotype. I'm going to be making a, a stout, an imperial stout, but I'm going to do it with maple bacon donut. Maple bacon donuts.
2: Wow. Actual donuts are going to go with the mash or something?
0: Wow. Yep. So we have a great uh, donut shop in ottawa called suzy q donuts and they make the best yeast raised maple bacon donuts out there and they're made every day every day because they sell out every day so i'm gonna go and i'm gonna do a small batch of this because i have you no know, i have my my bruzilla and i have the big system i'm not gonna go full out on the big system because i don't know how it's gonna turn out right go on the small side eh, if it doesn't go without great well it's not no harm no foul but everyone's saying, well, you're going to worry about the grease. You got to worry about from the bacon. There's all this, all that. I'm like, well, I've talked to the guys at Genus Brewing. I've talked to my bosses uh, at Straight Out Brewing Company where I work and a few other people here and there. And they've all said that the grist or the grain bed will act as a filter and catch the grease.
2: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that would be the my main concern is the donut and the bacon yep both full of fats that you do not want in
0: in the, the word right so yeah that will be interesting It'll be, it's gonna be interesting but that one's gonna to have to wait because there's other beers that have to get made like i've got a uh an amarillo hop and tangerine pale ale i'm gonna be making uh there's uh, actually a part of there's a club i'm a part of called the brew tubers and we're, we have a competition going on, an experiment, I should say, with the help of one of our sponsors who's p- supplying the yeast and uh, the hops that we're going to, there's six of us going to make the same beer and do a comparison and see how it all turns up. And oh, it's all fun. different um, varieties of this one hop being a straight T90, a hop extract, or kind of like, like a cryo hop. It's not Yakima Chief or whatever else, but it's similar to that. So I, that's, about, that's about all I can say, because I got told I can't see anything else until after the experiment's done. Yeah, that's, that
2: sounds like fun. So you basically, you're going to keep all the same recipe, but there's yeah. going to be a variable, which will be the hops that you, you change absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So now going forward into your channel, what do you find that you found out along the way that what you like about homebrewing and what you kind of like wish you never really had to do well i mean like
2: when when i did the the class they told me that homebrewing is basically as a brewer you're primarily a janitor because yep. it's all about cleaning 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 it's like yeah that's definitely true you know And when I put the videos together, there I am, like, you know, stirring the mash bed and adding in hops and all the fun stuff. And then I never film the bit where I'm rinsing everything with star sand, leaving it overnight, coming back the next day. Oh, it's still not clean. All that. That part, if there was like a a dishwasher that would just work with brewing stuff and you could just like pile it in there, that'd be
0: fantastic. That would be. Um, That would be.
2: Wouldn't it be awesome? Well, I read
0: that you're an inventor. Why don't you invent it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, right.
2: It needs to be like a certain shape that's going to fit the kettle and deal with all of the grain that's in it. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, but isn't the it also called a of,
0: pressure washer?
2: Well, yeah. You know, uh, when I was uh, with the Clawhammer guys, I went up to Asheville and brewed yeah. my 99th beer with them. Um, and their cleanup involves basically dumping the grains behind the shed out yep. back and then hosing it all down outside, you know, very haphazardly. Whereas I'm being careful not to get water on the walls and the floor and all this sort of stuff. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. But where, where they brew is not actually like where any of them live. That's just like their, that's their headquarters, isn't it?
2: That's right. Yeah. They have a, a basically it looks like a house from the outside, but it mm-hmm. is a video studio and brewery. Um, That's pretty awesome. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they have this in your brewery, but when I first started sort of specking out my unfinished space, the thing that I really wanted to get and I didn't get because it turned out to be too expensive was a floor drain where it all, you know, you could just go like crazy and then everything would, would go down into the floor drain. That was like the one thing I was wanting to do, but it was just impractical.
0: Yeah. No, there's no floor drains here, unfortunately. Um, if I was to do it, it would be going straight into a septic tank. And then I'd be, yeah, I'd be SOL because Mm -hmm. all the cleaners and things that go into that septic would not be conducive to everything else that's going into a septic tank. So I'm relegated to using a gigantic rain barrel. Oh, okay. It goes into the rain barrel. And then I'm trying to work it out where I have a friend who has a pickup. Can come and take it, and we can take it to uh, where I work and put it into our wastewater tote. Okay, so that's,
2: that's that sounds like a, <laughs> the friend with the truck needing to shift the heavy. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it's the two mm-hmm. like I got two 10 gallon, ten gallon to twenty gallon. I think they're probably tens. Twenty uh, gallons uh, of water barrels uh, yeah. that I can just dump all all the wastewater into yeah i mean i I live out i have an acre and a half property so if i really wanted to be not environmentally friendly i could go in behind my house and just dump it all but i don't have it in me to Mm -hmm. do that because you've got like caustic cleaner you've got star sand and that's not necessarily great for the environment right so but it's all good so, what do you have up and coming for new adventures for your, for your channel, or is there anything you can say or can't say? Uh, there's stuff going on, but I don't know how much I can really
2: talk about. Um, but I can talk about some of the, like the immediate stuff that's happening. So, I've sure. I, I, I just just fermenting a beer at the moment for for an upcoming video, and you know, I've been focusing on styles. I so said 99 styles, and then since then, I've done about. 30 more beers, and they've all been a specific style. This is gonna be the first time that I've brewed a beer and I don't know what it's supposed to be because I was clearing out the brewery and I found in the fridge a mason jar that had uh, basically a bit of yeast in it, like a a yeast starter, you what I used to do quite a lot was I would overbuild yeast starters. So I'd use a bigger flask than I needed for my actual beer and then I'd just siphon off a little bit of that, put that in the mason jar, put it in the fridge for a few months. And then I've got yeast if I need it. Um, and I haven't done that for a long time. So I found this yeast in the mason jar and it wasn't labeled. And I have absolutely no recollection of putting it in there.
0: Oh, no. So I
2: do not know what this yeast is. So I decided that I would make the beer with this mystery yeast. And because I don't know what the style is, I don't even know if it's ale or lager or what temperature to do it it or anything. So I just made it as a smash beer, like yep. 100% Pilsner malt. And then I picked a bittering hop and just added the yeast to that. And then basically uh, fermented at room temperature. So around 20 Celsius. And okay. um, I'm about to get to the tasting of that to see. Firstly, is it drinkable? I mean, it fermented and like the OG and the FG all look good and whatnot. Um, but then secondly, is there any way to identify what the yeast is? Right. You have no idea what it is to start with. Like, Could I at least tell if it's a lager or an ale? Can I tell if it's like a Belgian a
0: saison-y sort of thing or a clean strain, you know? Yeah, Touching on this part about uh, your, your yeasts and things like that, I mean, I hope it's not the Fendemont yeast because that stuff is a Hard one to get past if you don't treat it well, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I've seen on your channel that you've actually had quite a few collaborations or guests on your channel. You've had Sarah Flora, you had the guys from Clawhammer. What do you find that through these collaborations that homebrewers are actually getting stuff out of? Them? I mean, I know I'm learning stuff because I'm a beer geek and anything I can siphon out of of people to help me out along the way goes a long way what are the some of the things you hope homebrewers actually take out of some of this stuff
2: yeah I mean that's been that's been very interesting as to what people are actually taking out of it I mean in in terms of the, the collaborations I didn't really do any of that for a very long time and I was just focused on doing my own styles and then I ended up doing one. I was like, okay, actually, I think the only thing I want to do at this point is collaborations. Like, there's a whole bunch of brewers out there. I just want to you know, work with them on different stuff because there was all so much fun and yeah. just brought a different perspective on things. So we would challenge each other, like, here's a recipe, you finish it off and brew it and send it to me and that sort of thing. Or um, we'd work on the beers together, like coming up with a single beer and split it between us, that sort of thing as well. Uh, all remote, Because I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, and everybody I collaborated with was someplace else, pretty much. Um, But you learn a lot from that. And also, because we were all YouTubers, we kind of learned a little bit about how we did the videos as well. So the way that Sarah puts their videos together is completely different. The whole process is completely different to my process. So it was really interesting comparing notes on how she did it. Uh, I work with Trent Musho, who has The the Brew Show, which is yep. super high production quality stuff. He works in video professionally and clearly shows. Um, so we'll be like geeking out on all sorts of- the, the, the yeah, that's not side of things. all of fun like, stuff to work with.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So that's been fun. But, you know, in terms of what have you sort of learned from that, the thing really where I've learned the most has been with, the comments that the viewers have left. So if I'll, you know, make a video and maybe I'm comparing two things or I don't know, whatever. I I did a video where I was, I compared a $900 stainless steel conical fermenter with a $20 PET plastic fermenter, brewed the same beer um, and then did a taste test could we tell the difference, that sort of thing. Well, thought I'd done a really smart experiment for that and then um, the video goes out and people are like, ah, you didn't think about this. You didn't think about that. What about temperature control and all this sort of thing? Mm-hmm. I've learned so much from the comments from these videos of people just coming up with ideas. And sometimes it's just, you know, it's YouTube. You've got to expect that not everyone's going to be nice. And sometimes people just want to be snarky or, yeah. or sort of, you know try to boast about how much they know that sort of thing. but in general, that hasn't been the case. A lot of it really is sort of genuinely like, did you consider this or I did something like this too, and I made this change. Or m- one of my favorite ones is where people will take the recipes that i've I've made, I've designed, brew it themselves and then let me know what they thought of it and and suggest, you know did you consider it a bit more pale chocolate mold in this recipe? that sort of thing. So yeah. that's really where I've been able to learn the most through this.
0: Yeah, I've been trying to learn as much as I can from, uh, not only from uh, you guys, uh, be it uh, Sarah or be it uh, the guys at Clawhammer, yeah, uh, the guys at the Homebrew Happy Hour. Uh, um, have you have you talked with those guys yet down in Texas? No, no. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna want to try and talk. They're they're a hoot between because they they uh, run the was it uh, Kid Connections, mm-hmm. and um, Josh. Todd and James are phenomenal guys to, to to talk with, and Josh is easy to pick on, but th- that's neither here nor there. But I learn, uh, I've learned like things about um, uh, Herm's coils. I've learned about uh, how to properly um, use a three- vessel system. I've learned uh, when I was looking at getting back into it, I, I deep dived into YouTube about all in one systems. Uh, which is why how I wound up with uh, the Kegland uh, Bruzilla, which is my second one because my I killed my Robo Brew after putting it through its paces. I don't know how many times in a week, and I, I fried the circuit board. So oh, wow, so <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So I mean, I I, it, I find that it's it's nice because it almost feels like you're you're dealing with the people that you see on the screen and they're sharing their secrets with you on how they make things work. And I find it at least in the, the brewing community, we're all there to help each other out. We're all there to share what we know. We're not there to talk down to anybody. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are people out there that are going to be like, oh, I know more than you. I know this, I know that. You don't know what you're talking about but those are usually the people I tune out and I go and deal with people like yourself and Sarah and, and the guys at Clawhammer and wherever, or even uh, short circuit brewers with uh, Brian. Downing yeah. Brian, and, uh, right. Brian's awesome. Uh, yeah. And uh, those are the guys I deal with, or even the guys out in Washington state, uh, Peter and uh, and those guys at uh, Genus brewing. Uh, they have some great stuff too, but yes, you're right. Right. You're right. There's always going to be that one person who's going to want to leave a snarky remark, and the but it's also so easy just to block them.
2: Yeah, don't feed the trolls. Never reply to those. Some of them we we uh, I'll i read them out to my family. We like have a real good laugh about some of them. Um, but you know you, you're absolutely right. Like I think this community really is a case of everyone being very supportive to each other in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that. I, kind of surprised me a little bit is once you do have like a little bit of a following and you're putting out videos and people are regularly watching them you end up generating this authority which sometimes i feel is a little misplaced yes so people will like take a recipe that i've done and go to great lengths to recreate it exactly as though i am like some professional brewer that has put together 50 variations of this and i've just stumbled across the one that's perfect I mean, that is absolutely not the case. When I was brewing a different style every week, which is really what I do even now, I am not an expert in that style. I'm like just sort of coming up with a recipe, which I think sounds good and it uses ingredients that I like or I'm going for some particular idea. There there was one video I did. um, I think it was a New England IPA, how to brew a New England IPA. And I went through a very elaborate process of how to do it because I wanted to minimize oxygen exposure and I I used a firmzilla. So it was nice closed transfer. Yep. But the problem is I needed to add hops, dry hops, twice during the fermentation. And I didn't want to expose the work to oxygen at any point. Right. So to do that, I ended up jerry-rigging this, this firmzilla so that I could. There's a sort of a, a collection pouch at the bottom, which is really yep. collecting but I filled that yep, yep. with hops. And then I flushed that with CO2 and then I dropped all the work down. So that got me the first hop addition. And then for the second one, I had hung up inside of the Firmzilla uh, a little brew bag that had the second hops in it hanging by a magnet. And then when it was time for that, I would pull the magnet away and then that would drop into the beer so that now I've got my second dry hop addition and I hadn't had to open anything up. My goodness. This was just like over-engineered stupidity. And um, (laughs) one of the viewers then went through and he was asking me a lot of questions. And then he told me that he'd gone out and ordered the exact same system down to the magnet that I'd used in order to perfectly recreate what I'd done. Oh, shit. (laughs) yeah, I'm just messing around in my basement. This is not necessarily
0: the best way to do anything. Yeah, yeah, so... I did a lot. Like, I admit it. I'm like, I'm like that guy because there was a. I saw. Um, I forget what channel I saw it, but they were using a dry hopper. It was Brian on Short Circuit Brewers. He had got a uh, a dry hopper from uh, Brewers Hardware. So it's it fixes to your uh, your fermenter via tri clamp and. Oh, it's yes. like a sight glass yeah. with a, a valve, a dump valve on it and a purge valve on the right. top. So yeah. keep that one part closed. You purge it full, put, put your hops in, cap it, purge it full with all the CO2 and you just open it up and it just drops straight down. And I'm like, how easy is that? Here I am before going, I got to pry the bucket open, throw everything in, hope to God it right. works or I'm going to open up this one port on this lid. Hopefully I don't let too much oxygen in and everything's going to work out. So I can understand what your viewer did. Cause I did the same thing. Cause so I went out and bought that dry hopper to make my life easier. Oh, I mean half the stuff that Brian
2: shows, I'm doing like messaging him like, where did you get that? Can I get that? Um, <laughs> actually, I, Heckland, they sell something called a hot bong now, which is basically yeah. what you're talking about. And it can be pressurized as well. So you can really flush it with CO2 before you drop whatever's in there. I, I've been sent a couple to try. I haven't actually used it in a B yet, but um, okay. I do like, like that idea. of, And I was thinking of using that even to make fining additions. So rather than opening up uh, the fermenter to put in some sort of fining agent at the end of, during the cold crash, I don't want to do that either. I want to keep everything closed. Right. So you could, you could put your finings, your gelatin or whatever you're using in there, drop that in. And then again, you haven't exposed um, the fermenter to, to any air.
0: Yeah, uh, I haven't had too much problem with uh, fining agents because I've been putting everything straight into, the, into a bright tank and I've been blasting it with cold for like two, three days before I even start trying to uh, yeah. carbonating it. And it just makes yeah. everything drop to the bottom.
2: Oh, before the carbonation. Yep, that that probably helps. I hadn't tried that.
0: Okay, well, something to try next time.
2: Yeah, I always as soon as I've got the beer in the keg, I will um, carbonate it to or put oh, it under yeah. pressure, at thirty psi, like straight away, and then leave it for a day. Um, So it's not really having any time to settle because I'm sure that's, you know, it's causing all sorts of uh, activity within the keg and bubbling and
0: whatnot. So absolutely. That's that's interesting. So what's your take on stainless steel versus plastic? I mean, I started out with a plastic bucket, then went to two firmzillas with cooling coils to now where everything I have is pretty much stainless steel.
2: Yeah, I have. I mean, the the mystery beer I just did was in a firmzilla. So that's plastic. Um, but I do have a couple of stainless steel conical fermenters, which I really like. Yeah. Um, I don't know. When I did that experiment of the $900 stainless steel versus the $20 PET fermenter, um, there were a lot of differences in, in how those two beers were treated, because one was temperature control with glycol and the other was just like left on the side, which has probably yeah. made a big difference. But when we tasted the beers, I was kind of expecting one to taste better than the other because it had been in this expensive fermenter, and I couldn't tell any difference. So it does make me kind of wonder, would I have been fine going back to the old PET carboys, which is how I started, and then siphoning stuff in and out of there? Mm -hmm. But um, I do like the stainless steel fermenters because you can do things like pressurize them, but... Closed transfers and so forth, but then with the firm Zillas, you can do that as well on their plastic. So, yeah. Uh, in It'll terms be, of like cooling appeal, the stainless steel stuff looks awesome. It looks but, cool, yeah.
0: It's it's got the right, cool factor.
2: Right, it's got the cool factor, and it looks professional. It looks like what you see in a, in a like breweries like you work in. But um, I don't know how much of a difference that really makes. Yeah,
1: I mean,
0: I, I love my firm firm Zillas. I still have them the only downside to them and they've just recently changed it is where that collection jar is it's got that funky reverse thread on it oh yeah that was terrible i I absolutely hate it now they've changed that i believe now to a tri clamp that's right yeah which makes
2: life so much easier i've just cleaned it out so i just made this mystery beer and i just had to clean that thing out and yeah you undo the tri clamp and then you can just rinse it all out. And there's no problems like there were before with that collection jar
0: and everything getting stuck there and not being able yeah. so. I mean, I have um, like, a, I guess, a, yeah, it's a cake washer. It's like uh, the Mark II, mm. Mark III cake washer. The Mark II, yeah. 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 And I would use that to clean out the zill. I'd give it a good like dump out first, then over top and I would just hold it, move it around and make sure everything was getting a good blast of water. Um but there were—I always found there was no really true form to make sure there weren't any scratches on the inside. Because every now and then you get you get your hand in there, you move it in the sink, you, you get scratched. Um, that's kind of why I like the CIPs uh, for the stainless steel. You just drop them in, hook up um, like either a Riptide or or yeah. whatever pump that you have that, or a chugger pump, and you just let it do its thing. I mean, I find yeah. those work better.
2: Yeah. I think w- once you start doing stuff over and over again, like you say, the scratching on the, on the plastic, just the general durability, the stainless steel stuff is going to last forever. I feel like, you know, I've had, I put 100, 100 batches through one of my fermenters, still looks great, you know, mm-hmm. bit of barkeeper's friend, it looks good as new. So um, I haven't done much of the clean in place, though. I do have one of the clean in place balls. Um, so that you can spray it all around and then um, i just manually rinse that thing out fill it back up with warm pbw let it soak overnight and i don't know i'm probably making more work for
0: myself what i usually do is like uh, i'll get everything all cleaned out and when it comes time to clean the fermenter i'll have boiling not boiling but really hot water going the proper amount of uh of um, pbw yeah. And then I'll just hook the pumps up and let it do its thing. And when once that's done, I'll if I have another fermenter that needs to be cleaned, I'll transfer it over into the next fermenter and let it do its thing. And then it gets dumped into the wastewater barrel. And then they both get hit with uh, star sand.
2: When, when you do the star sand, is that the clean in place thing as well? Or are you yeah? Yeah, you so don't you need that clean much. Clean yeah. in place water with PBW, dump that out, clean in place again with. Starts yep.
0: water. and then it's then I just purge them out with CO two, and they're ready to roll. I need to try that.
2: Anything that's going to reduce the
0: cleaning is absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong; I don't mind cleaning the stuff, but anything to make my life easier in the cleaning process, hell yes. Oh yes, I couldn't couldn't agree more. You know, that's kind of been a
2: theme actually with me is what. Because I've been brewing so much, and sometimes not even because I wanted to, but because I had a schedule to meet, <laughs> a challenge to succeed with, and all that stuff, I got—I've just got obsessed with like optimizing the process and how can my brew days be shorter? Because when I started out, I had uh, a Blickman Brew Easy system. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, but it's yeah, I know those. Two kettles stacked onto each other. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, half the water is in each of the kettles and it circulates yep. between them. Yeah. Yep. So um, that was a bit of a bit of a difficult one to get like honed in. And I it was also very big. It was for 10 gallon batches. So they were two 20 gallon things. Yep. Uh, so a brew day would be like five, six hours from that. And now I've got it to the stage where within two and a half hours I can go from stepping into my basement. And turning on the cameras and turning on the water to having left with everything soaked and the cameras turned off in two and a half hours. So that's sort of, I've learned how to optimize things. But along the way, I'm like, well, you know, how could I go even more? So, for example, the last, I don't know, 50 beers I've done, I have only boiled for 30 minutes, lager really? oil, regardless, 30 minute boils. And then I just adjust the hop additions accordingly. So if you're not boiling for 60 minutes and you're adding in a bittering hop at 60 minutes, you're gonna need to add more of that hop in if you're adding in the 30 minutes to get the same um, same level I'd be IBUs at the end, of course. But just, no, that's easy in in beer calculating software. But I have noticed no drop in quality. And I spoke to a few other people that also, Kind of swear by 30 minute boils and what a save! what a time saver well, that's instant 30 minutes off oh. the
0: time right there i never um, thought about th- thought about that for 30 minute boils. i mean the lowest i've ever done was for a boat for a berliner where it was only 15 minutes yeah right you're just basically sanitizing the you know pasteurizing yeah. everything on you that's all it is yeah. it's just making it able to put the yeast in without killing it right so Um, all right yeah
2: but no i mean people have some sort of you you might think well i'm going to have issues with maybe dms with pilsen malt but not at least to my taste and my tasters taste we haven't noticed that being an issue at all Um, and the hop utilization does seem to work pretty well if you you follow along the brewing software that sort yeah. of getting more or less the same level of bitterness. now i've not tried a, a, a 60 minute and a 30 minutes kind of side by side that would be kind of interesting with the same recipe but in general 30 minutes has been great and then that get me think got me thinking right how long do i need to be mashing for do i need to be mashing for an hour because that seems like an awfully convenient round number like with the 60 minute boil does there any like
0: science behind that? it
2: yeah right what's the science behind that so so With that one, you can actually check along the way by just taking your gravity reading and you can see, is it still converting anything? And what I seem to find is that most of the conversion does happen within the first 20 minutes or so. And then after that, you get a little bit more as you go through, but it slows down quite a lot. So if you are in a hurry and you just want to do a 30 minute mash, if you just calculate your recipe saying that you're going to get a few percent less efficiency and then build your recipe based upon that, huh. then you can get away with a much shorter um, mash time. And in fact, uh, Kyle from, from Clawhammer Supply, he put out a video recently where he measured his mash every 10 minutes to see what the conversion level was. And um, yeah, after about 20, 25 minutes, he was almost where he was expecting to be. And the rest uh, of Actually, the I think I saw that one. I was like,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so what kind of beers do you normally gravitate to gravitate towards for yourself personally to make?
2: Yeah. Um, so the styles that I really enjoy, well, yeah, style, um, uh, I've got a, yeah, a Scottish beer here, although I, I sort of like English bitters and a lot of the stuff you get on cask. I don't have any way to do cask at home, but when I go to England. I mean, I live in America now, but I'm originally from England. I would always get something on cart. I would not have uh, guessed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also really like Belgian beers. Okay. In my, I would say my favorite style is Belgian triple. Um, the second beer I ever, the first beer I ever made was a pale ale that was drinkable. And the second one was a triple. I, was like, I have to try and do a triple now because yeah. I just love that style. And I really like the, the sort of the Belgian esters you get from that sort of style of beer. Um, so those were the, what I found myself doing was I was just going, cycling through the same three or four stars over and over again. So I'd do a British bitter, then I'd do a Belgian triple, then I would do uh, an English porter or a stout, and then I would do a pale ale and then rinse and repeat. And uh, that's when I had my eyes open that there were actually 99 of these different beer types. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Maybe try some different ones. Have you tried making any uh,
0: historic beers?
2: Yeah, I did. I went through uh, the pre-prohibition porter and lager. Um, those were part of the, the BJCP guidelines. I, yep. it I don't know if that's historic or just weird,
0: but it's one of those. Um, so there's a Scottish, yeah. There's a, I made a, a historic Scottish beer that's not in the BJCP, which is, I don't understand why it's not. Uh, it's spelled f-r-o-a-c-h. Mm. And it's there's no hops in it. It's all done with heather
2: tips. Oh, heather tip. Okay, that sounds a bit like sati. Sati was juniper berries and
0: branches. So this was okay. freaking awesome. I blew co-workers <laughs> away with this. And they're like, oh, this is great. What hops? There are no hops. There's Dan, it's bitter. There's hops in this. I'm telling you right now. There are no hops in this beer. <laughs> That's crazy.
2: So uh, was that, did you boil that beer? The sati that I did it was a no boil beer.
0: That you No, I boiled it. Put the branches in and then hope for the best. Yeah. So I got the heather tips from a uh, local homebrew store. Uh, and, and then in order to do it. In I, Canada? In yep. Canada, they had heather tips from Scotland. Yep. Wow. So... The recipe I was looking at said, well, you can use Amarillo or whatever. I'm like, scrap that. We're going to go as true to form as possible. (laughs) So I tripled up on the heather tips to make sure I compensated for not having any hops. And it worked so well. So, so well. So, like, if you go into BeerSmith or (laughs) whatever,
2: can you put in heather tips and it will tell you how many IBUs that's going to generate?
0: Uh, maybe if you like, I use Brewer's Friend because that's Mm -hmm. I've I found that's for me the easiest one to use. Uh, BeerSmith is like, yeah, Mister Brad is a he's a great guy, but it 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 just makes my my brain bleed. trying to use that software i mean i i like things that are like soldier proof like i'm used to making things go boom and breaking them i'm not trying to make anything else break down the line (laughs) so but heather i i'm not sure if there's a way to measure the heather tips i'm pretty sure if you put it in there it would tell you that's crazy yeah i mean that was actually pretty cool and then i did one with uh only elderflower yeah which worked out pretty good, and but they all they both mean I'm not don't get me wrong I love a good beer but I'm not the biggest IPA guy, but these came out very close to where my breaking point was for a, a pale ale because it was bordering on being like that IPA flavor, and I'm not too big on them. don't get me wrong they're good they're just not necessarily something I would normally gravitate towards. Right,
2: right. It's it's kind of been kind of interesting. because I would uh, start to really appreciate IPAs a lot, and was making a lot of IPAs and pale ales, double IPAs, and all this sort of stuff. And now I'm sort of gravitating the other way and going for the more malt forward beers yep. again. And I mean, obviously, like British bitter, despite the name bitter, is very malt forward. Oh yeah. They're also just like the German lagers and kolsches and stuff like that, which I don't know, before I would be like, yeah, it's just kind of watery beer. But it, I think once you sort of you learn, um, you start to learn the craft a little bit. I think it's quite easy to dump a lot of hops into a beer and it can cover up all sorts of issues you had with your mash and whatnot, and no one's going to notice. Yeah. But if you're if you're brewing a German lager. You better get your fermentation temperature right because it's going to be very obvious if you didn't. There's no hiding. Right. So I really sort of, I think, started to appreciate that a bit more. And it's ended up affecting the beers that I like to drink.
0: Absolutely. I find that too. I find that some of the people that I know who homebrew, they're like, oh, I screwed up. I just threw a bunch of hops at it. Like, oh, why are you just throwing hops at it for the sake of throwing hops at it? Now you're just making a, a hop bomb of a beer. You're right. not going to get any taste of the malt or any any anything extra you might have added into it for flavor. All you're going to get is nothing but a straight bitter. You're not going to get any extra aroma out of the hops. You're not going to get any extra flavor. It, you're just going to get straight bitter. And uh, unfortunately, that's why I find a lot of people when they're first starting out in homebrewing, like, okay, I've made a mistake. Um, hops. Hops are my friend. And they just throw hops at it. I'm like, okay, that, that's your call. I mean, you're drinking it, not me. I mean, what do you find that some of the the mistakes that home brewers do, do and they just think, well, it, it is what it is and just go for it? You know,
2: there's the thing that I used to obsess about was the gravity and efficiency numbers on brewing. So you put in to your brewing software, your ingredients, put your efficiency of your system in 70%, whatever it is, and then it will give you what the original gravity and the final gravity should be. And if I was off by a point or two, I'd be quite upset that I'd ruined the beer. And that is absolutely not the case because now I've been through and missed my gravity for whatever reason, I, often don't understand why but if i've missed it one way or the other it hasn't like resulted in a terrible beer because of it and often yeah. i think it would probably be indistinguishable um but i know people that would be very concerned about getting that right and would, would add sugar uh, you know into the the boil to try to to, to, to boost the numbers yeah. or boil for longer to distill the, the work and that sort of thing and i really have chilled out over that sort of issue now because i haven't noticed it making any difference
0: yeah yeah that's one thing i found too is like uh, the num- people fixate on numbers right if you're, if, the you're o- if you're off a little bit you're off a little bit it's not gonna break the bank right right and
2: and there's certain numbers that we can measure and therefore are going to put more weight on them than the numbers that we can't measure like ibu for example yeah i can't measure if I really got the utilisation that I was expecting from that, so I'm not going to be throwing in two more hot pellets than I would have before to try and reach a number, because there's no way that I can measure it. Um, and then colour as well is very subjective, and it's often not very clear what the colour is going to be until the beer is actually finished, so it's not like you can look at a beer and easily measure the SRM of it um, and make adjustments accordingly. But things like the gravity, all well, I need is a hydrometer or, or, or whatever, and then I can measure it and then worry about it. So uh when it's very quantifiable or, or um boil volume and all that sort of stuff and it's very quantifiable then you might worry about it and the other stuff that you can't measure you wouldn't worry so much about i just don't worry about any of it so much anymore i <laughs> do the basics right and you know typically
0: you get you get beer absolutely so we're coming to the end of this what words of a white i can't even talk right now what words of wisdom or advice would you have for uh homebrewers did,
2: did somebody do the Relax, Don't Worry, Have a Homebrew already? Oh, yeah.
1: I think, uh, I think probably, maybe
2: it's yeah. been done. That's been done. That's been that's done. Been, everyone everyone my, knows that one. <laughs> yeah. my um, I don't know if I have any words of wisdom, but the thing that I would just say about all of this is the, the whole aspect of experimentation has been the most fun and doing stuff that you would not be able to easily get at the store as being really fun as well so you mentioned brewing with heather tips now I don't think yeah. you can really go out and find the beer very easily like that and um, for me when I was looking at some of these beer styles that I'd never heard of before let alone would not be able to go to a bottle shop here and find them yeah. being able to learn about the style and then brew them up as was was very very interesting and, and even in the time that I've been brewing, craft beer has become much more popular. There's breweries on every corner now. There are places where you can buy craft beer so much more than you could a few years ago. But even with that availability, as a home brewer, there's stuff you can do that will be very difficult to find commercially. And that's the thing that attracts me to the home, to home brewing is just being able to try some of these crazy things and, and um, these crazy styles and really get an appreciation for for what they're like. I could
0: not agree more. Martin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Greatly appreciate it. And I look forward to your next video that's coming out soon, I hope. Yeah, uh, there's a new video every two weeks. Yeah, and I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Martin. So guys, I'm Dan, he's Martin. And thanks a lot for coming up for a ride and a beer or two along the way. And we'll see you on the other side.